And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is the weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every X-Men story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And Adam, it's another week. (laughs) It's another week and I feel imbued with the cosmic power of a fiery bird. Well, do you know what has cosmic powers beyond a fiery bird? Uh, Ooh, hmm. Uh, well, there are cosmic entities that are more powerful than a fiery bird. Uh, what did you have in mind? I have in mind the segment that I know all of our listeners are curious about, and that is X-Man Watch. Remember how I was cursed? How yeah, I, I was how I was cursed with copies of X-Man the entire run? I do. How's that going? I have I began reading it as I have finished all of cable. I said, well, I guess I'll just get this out of the way. Uh, And this is not going to turn into an X-Man issue by issue review podcast, but (laughs) I do want to bring up my initial thoughts on this. And I I like to think that we will continue to give you that Nate Gray content that you crave. That's why people tune in. Yes, as this goes on. (laughs) But so far, I believe I am 16 or 17 issues in. I am past the crossovers with Excalibur and with Cable. And right now, Nate Gray and Theron Day are fighting the horribly named Holocaust on a beach. Oy, oy, oy. Nate Gray is the least interesting character in the world. Everything around him is fabulous. <laughs> the Steve Sor- Soroki art is real good. And it is just deep in 90s X-Men garbage. The continuity is incomprehensible <laughs> and... So much interesting stuff is happening around this scoop of vanilla ice cream called Nate Gray. Well, I'm glad you're finding some value in it. Um, But uh, nobody has asked us to rank any Nate Gray. Um, So I guess people got to get on the Patreon and and make it official so we can put some of it on our list. Yeah, well, they've got I've got 60 some issues before we're going to add attack any nate gray content at this point <laughs> it's a challenge but you mentioned the patreon and do you know who's part of the patreon do you know who's uh, part of the patreon who, who's requesting this week uh this is by patreon supporter michael wentz he went on over to patreon.com slash xavier files and he decided to toss in a couple of bucks so that we'd craft an entire episode of podcasts around him and his story which was a very recent one mm-hmm it is Phoenix Resurrection, the return of Jean Grey. Yeah. This was written by my boy, Matthew Rosenberg, uh, with art by a lot of people. On covers and issues one and five are Leneal Francis Yu. Issue two is Carlos Pacheco. Issues three and parts of issues five are Joe Bennett. And Ramon Rosanas does issue four. Uh Boy, howdy, is this a comic? <laughs> yeah, we've got a five-issue miniseries with a huge art team. Um, and I think the thing that this is most often compared to 
um, at least critically, was I think people were still coming off of their 18-hour Twin Peaks season three binge. And uh, this garnered a lot of comparisons to Twin Peaks. Are you a Twin Peaks fan, Zach? Not watched a single second. Everything I hear about it sounds like I'd enjoy it. I think you would. I think you'd get a real kick out of it. Um, And there are some some Peaksian elements here, uh, especially with, you know, the diner and some otherworldly things happening here and there. Um, Do you want to give a brief description as to what happens in this book? Yeah. So the X-Men start noticing weird stuff happening. And it all seems centered around Jean Grey. So they start to investigate. And lo and behold, they find out that, oh, there is a giant invisible phoenix egg in uh, New Mexico. Very close to what Bobby joked around saying she's probably in Arizona. Yep. <laughs> uh, because he, he wanted to say the phoenix was, you know, alive in Phoenix. But she wasn't. It was, it was New Mexico. And the phoenix crafted an egg to resurrect Jean Grey so that Jean Grey could be the host of the Phoenix again, because all the other hosts sucked Mm -hmm. with the weird exception of Rachel, who we'll talk about Rachel being the Phoenix for the rest of the episode, but she gets (laughs) mentioned very briefly at the beginning and then immediately written off because they're like, this is going to make this mini series way too confusing. In the meantime, Jean Grey's imagining that she is living a leave it to beaver lifestyle in a diner in this small town. And then eventually she comes back to life. I think that about sums it up because it ends the moment she comes back to life. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, for anybody who was, you know, hoping that this might be an extension of what happened in uh, the teen Jean Grey mini uh, or not mini, uh, but, you know, the, the ongoing series, series yeah. there. This does not tie together with that even remotely. Um, It's its own X-Men adventure where they get to fight against some visions of past villains and, you know, get to find that Jean Grey is still alive. Uh, How we get to that destination is sort of weird and warped. Um, What what do you do you like this? I don't dislike it. Ooh, that's not high praise. (laughs) Well, so it was different going back and reading this because I had to analyze what I liked and what I didn't. Uh I love how Matthew Rosenberg writes these characters. He has character voices down for literally everyone he touches. Perfect. Yeah. He's so good at inhabiting their minds and writing very sharp, very funny in very poignant dialogue for each and every character that shows up. And when Gene gets a chance to really be Gene, it's fantastic. Like issue five has some awesome stuff that goes on. Yes. What I do think there's a couple of, there's a couple of big flaws in this book. I think it is really a nothing story. Gene comes back. It's five issues to get to, Hey, Gene's back. And I think it, I think it's slow. I think part of that is, you know, written for a weekly pace. You can pace things out a little bit differently because you Mm -hmm. know, you're getting that next installment right away. Cause this was released weekly back as we're recording this, this January. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But the other thing, and this is a weird note that I kind of picked up on going back and rereading. There are five different last pages in this book. Four of them have no payoff. 
And it's not even the one you think that would have payoff. It's issue four is the only one that actually goes back and does anything with it. Because hmm. issue one, it's, hey, look, Scott Summers is alive in this weird, you know, perfect world thing. And that's never brought up again in any substantial detail. Well, because it's it's largely meaningless. Right. Issue two is, hey, Gene, the world in here isn't all that it seems, which is fine, but it's not really a reveal or last page hook as much as it is the reader kind of already knew that. Mm -hmm. Issue three is Gene sees the Phoenix force like Phoenix Gene. And then we don't see their saying we need to talk and then we don't see their conversation. Right. Issue four is Wolverine's going to the diner or old man Logan, excuse me, is going to the diner. And that is where issue five picks up. So good on that. <laughs> and then issue five is just Gene sitting on the ground and everyone's saying, welcome home, Gene. And that's where it ends. Yeah. It doesn't give you what you want at any ending in this story. It doesn't resolve. And I think that's to its detriment. Well, let me, let me say this. I did see some people's reactions to, especially the final issue here that found it very moving um, that the afterlife reunion of Gene and Scott, they found that quite moving. They found the conversation with the Phoenix uh, quite moving. I, I, I was not one of those people. Um, I don't Ooh. dislike this. I don't dislike this story. Um, I don't, I'm not saying that those parts of the story are not strong, but I personally didn't find that particularly um, emotional. Um, in fact, interesting because yeah. that's my favorite part of this. That's what works for you. The, that when Jean comes back and she is the last Phoenix and they have a couple of pages where Jean talks to the Phoenix and Jean has to, talk to Scott who has come back to life for this hot second. I love those scenes because it, it does okay. a very good job resetting and reestablishing Gene who let's be clear. Gene gray was dead for 14 years. Mm -hmm. That's not a uh, insubstantial amount of time. Do you know how many times professor Xavier died in that time and came back? <laughs> I think three. Several. If yeah. I'm if I'm counting right, it was three times that they thought Xavier was legitimately dead and then he's not anymore. Um, yeah, I don't want to say that the, the writing is bad or anything like that. I just I saw that other readers and I guess I can include yep. you here uh, found this much more moving than than I did. I kind of read the Phoenix scene and I was like, oh, Jean is going to make the Phoenix force into like her pet parakeet before it uh, smokes out in her hands. Um <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was actually kind of, kind of funny. Um, but I, I do like this story as a whole. Um, I wish that it was a little mm -hmm. weirder. I, I do think I wish that it was a little bit weirder, especially because like you said, some of the premises that are, that are set up in the first couple of issues really do open it up that it, it could be a lot stranger than it is. Um, but it does have to go, you know, as a means to an ends to bring this character to get the, this character back, um, so that we can launch X-Men red. So, you know, I, I'm kind of in the middle on this. I, I don't, I don't think it's, I've seen other stuff that Rosenberg has done since that I am like absolutely bowled over by. And the, this yeah, was not one in, of those uh, series. In the grand scheme of things, this is probably my least favorite of Rosenberg's X-Men work. I, I think it yeah. it was a st story that was trying to do a lot of stuff. 
I think it was rushed. Mm-hmm. I think the in once you know the ending and once you know the once you know what's going on, the elsewhere stuff, the stuff inside the Phoenix egg with Jean in her small town doesn't work because it doesn't do much to inform Jean's character beyond she doesn't know what's going on or to drop oblique yeah. callbacks to various X-Men. Like, you know, that tag from new X-Men gets a call out in this series tier. <laughs> uh, yeah. There are so many uh, background X-Men characters in this. And, you know, you, you can sense that Rosenberg is having some fun telling the artists who to put in these, these big uh, team yeah, there's There's a lot of interesting stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff I should like more than I do. But I don't think this particular book works as well. I also want to touch on the art because I think having a rotating art cast can be a blessing or a curse. And I think it doesn't work as well here. You start out and you end with Lanille Francis Hugh, who is head and shoulders above everyone else. I think Carlos Pacheco does Carlos Pacheco work, which means it's good, but not, not, not groundbreaking joe bennett is serviceable and i'm personally not a fan of uh ramon rosana's art on issue four i think it's it's it uh, the biggest thing is it makes the phoenix not look intimidating in the moment it's supposed to be very intimidating it looks like a fire chicken yeah well it, it kind of does no matter who's drawing it in this series i feel like um uh which you know, it's it's been pictured in this in this kind of way by many different artists. But you're absolutely right. The rotating artists do shift the mood uh, dramatically from from issue to issue, and um, you know that's not in service of the story. Uh, but I know they needed to get this out quickly. Um, they needed to launch the new series, and they needed to bring her back. So mission accomplished. Um, in terms of ranking this thing, where would you put it? That's a very good question because I'm looking at the list. We have a 138 stories Mm -hmm. on our big old list of X-Men stories. And I'm trying to find the point where it's not bad, but it's also not what you want it to be. Yeah. It's interesting because I like, I'm looking kind of lower on the list than I anticipated. Um, You know, and this is, this is weird because I'm absolutely in love with what Rosenberg has been doing with dead souls. Multiple man is like my favorite uh, book of the year right now. Um, but this Ooh, really, this is uh, definitely not playing to those kind of strengths that I'm seeing in those two books. So yeah, it, it doesn't hold up. No, it, it really no. doesn't hold up under a lot of scrutiny. Yeah. Uh, here, so, let me, let me throw, me throw out a question for you that i think may help narrow this down yeah go ahead uh we have a couple of more recent stories on here uh Mm -hmm. one of them number 82 x-men gold negative zone war is this better or worse than negative zone war i think that's better you think negative zone war is better (sighs) you're allowed to say that that just was not actually the answer i was expecting well i just think that's more i don't know I, I, that one surprised me. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't expecting to enjoy negative zone war and I really did. Um, I, I don't know what I love about this story. Like, I'm not sure what I like about it. 
to be honest. I mean, if that last scene doesn't work for you, then I can understand that. Yeah. I really can. I can understand here's, here's, why it under uh, why it works. I think the art is mm-hmm. a big part of that too. You know. Oh yeah. Um, and changing the art for that last scene is is a little rough. Um, so where where here's, do you want to go with it? Here's what I'd say if if that's if that's where you're going to stand on it. I will ask this: Is it better or worse than Fatal Attractions on a whole? Because Fatal Attractions does some cool, cool stuff, but it's uneven as heck. Um, I think this is better than Fatal Attractions. You know, um, it's got a little more subtlety to it. It plays around with a lot of different X casts. So, um, uh, is it? I think it's better than what's right above Fatal Attractions at eighty-five, the first arc of Exiles. Yes, I do too. Is it? Better? Is it better than? <laughs> 15.inh uncanny x-men which has, 15.inh which one of the best white queen scenes of all time in it um well and that's another story that starts strong and does goes off the rails in the middle this probably i think this is better than that um is this better than excalibur 91 where they all go to a bar i think this is better than that excalibur story which means that by the transitive property of that's just where things go, this goes right under negative zone war as the new number 82 on our list, Phoenix Resurrection, the return of Jean Grey. Ooh. Not to be confused with Phoenix Resurrection, the Malibu X-Men crossover that we aren't <laughs> covering. Because, guys, I could talk about the Malibu universe. Not, not well-informed. But boy, could I talk about what they did to cross that over with the greater Marvel universe because it's the unsung crazy story of the 90s. No (laughs) one talks about how just balls to the wall that was. Well, I think it's because nobody bought it. Nobody remembers it. (laughs) Well, also, yes. People, someone has to go and someone do a whole comics journal thing about this or whatever. No, they'd never cover X-Men. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> can I, can I uh, say, I think that uh, there's too many, too many graves. I, I think we need to do something about that, Zach. There's too many of them. So that's the thing that happens next. Well, not in continuity, but in the continuity of this podcast, I guess this, the next story we chose involves the repercussions of the phoenix more than anything else it's uncanny x-men 466 to 468 gray's end or the end of the grays or however you want to put it because it's different on the trade dress versus on any of the issues versus so much stuff uh but this is a three issue story uh by chris claremont and chris bachelow both of whom i like mm-hmm uh adam what happens in this this very mean story <laughs> okay so um this is house of where are we house of m uh, right after ha- house of m so this is right. bannered so, under decimation MJ. which is yeah, something decimation. i want to talk about okay so um I'll, I'll not talk about that part for a second but in essence rachel is staying with uh gene's parents and she her grandparents her let's grandparents. be let's be clear she yes. she knew john and elaine or a john and elaine and assumedly had a good relationship with them yes so she is staying with them and apparently which i don't know appears anywhere else in continuity 
there's actually a pretty big family to the Greys. They are all invited to the house for a big get together. Rachel is meeting a lot of these people. Um, and a Shi'ar, Shi'ar, how do you say Shi'ar? Shi'ar? Shi'ar. We're going, Shi'ar. Okay. We're going to call it Shi'ar because that's right. Yes. Okay. So a Shi'ar death squad shows up and kills everybody except Rachel and they give her a back tattoo and that's the end of the story. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's a bit more than that, but yes. You asked me to sum it up quickly, but that's pretty much you're what not, happens. You're not wrong. So yeah, this is... <laughs> so what I, want to, what I want to mention first, this is happening bannered under decimation. So very recently, the X-Men lost all but a handful of people. Yes. Over in New X-Men, the kids' book, all the kids are getting murdered. There are busfuls of kids dying and other kids getting shot and stabbed and blown up and disintegrated. There is apocalypse coming back. There's a lot of not pleasant things happening in the X books right now. Mm-hmm. And just to keep that brutal, almost nihilistic tone, Chris Claremont decides I'm going to make Rachel's life even worse. And he <laughs> murders everyone whose last name is Gray, except for Cable, who they specifically, in what had to be an editor, realizing this kind of late. They're like, oh, they must have forgotten about Cable. <laughs> they must not have noticed the big one. <laughs> Was he a baby at this time? I know he gets turned into a baby at some point during Cable and Deadpool, which would have been running concurrently. When did Cable get turned into a baby? I have no idea. I have no idea. I'd be surprised if that was really the reason here. I think it's just that, you know, Chris Claremont wanted to introduce this cast of characters. And it's so funny because, um, you know, it's become a trope thanks to uh, Explain the X-Men that Claremont introduces characters by name only to kill them and there's a whole issue of it yes the second issue is literally a full well i want to i want to compliment the second issue actually because super good one yes the second issue is called 24 seconds and um essentially claremont tasks machala with doing moment by moment the assassinations of the everyone in the house and it's done so well um but it is the pinnacle of here's a character let me give you the quick two sentence backstory of this person oh wait they're dead um because this wacky very chris bachalo designed team has come in and they are just going to kill everybody yes i'm pretty sure my note that the two two notes i had and we did not compare notes on this was he does an entire issue where he does that claremont thing where he kills a character right after giving them a backstory yeah. And that the Death Commandos sure are a Bachalo design. Whew, they really are. Um, and it took me a second to even realize like what Sega was. Yeah, like, that was confusing. Because <laughs> Yeah, Sega's just basically some smoke. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. I I'm very glad that in the third issue they at least introduce all of these characters on a splash page because I'm like in even in the context of the story, I was very unclear as to who who was who and I'm still a little confused by it, frankly. 
this is a very 90s style uh death squad that comes in like it does bring to mind like mlf or uh riders of the storm you know like they're just random they have 90s names like war shot and offset um they're very (laughs) two words bizarre very two words smashed together but i i think you've highlighted it uh the second issue the 24 seconds issue Bachelot and Claremont are on their A game. It's a brutal tour de force for both of them. And it's great. There's a lot of good X-Men moments. There's a lot of great stuff with Kitty and Rachel. And while Mm -hmm. this is tough to read, and I imagine at the time with all the crap that was going on with the X-Men, just in terms of not quality of story, but in terms of how much they were going through, I can imagine readers saying, and even this, you're you're gonna kill off all of the Greys. Have they not suffered enough? They do that because of the Phoenix, and they don't want anyone to get the Phoenix. Frankly, the Phoenix ate a star, so don't murder entire families. But it's hard to be that. They probably were a little extreme. <laughs> Let's say that. Well, yeah, the Shi'ar trope of like you know putting Jean Grey on trial constantly is is, uh, is getting a little old at this point we should probably um, we just avoid saw it, it again in the era. yeah but um you know <laughs> I, we'll see if it pops its head back in x-men red i guess but um i'd say the one big thing that this story does well it gives rachel a direction because mm-hmm. she is a character that has suffered from that and at this point suffered from it for a very long time because she went into the time stream in the middle of Excalibur in the early nineties and became mother Ascani and, but essentially wasn't really a character with any agency or motivation or driving force to her for a very long time. Even when she comes back in cable and I just read those issues recently, she does nothing gets captured and then shows up in extreme X-Men right at the very end, right before this uncanny run where she has no direction until this moment where it's, oh, I guess I'm going to be motivated by revenge, which mm-hmm. I don't know how well it's executed the whole time, but it does give her a clear path and a clear vision and a clear, this is what I'm doing now. And you're all going to deal with it. And I like that. Yeah. It gives Rachel something. Yeah. And I, I pr- think you probably could have accomplished a little more character direction without fridging her entire family. Yes. Um, <laughs> But this is still a very, very effective um, set piece. And it does have some character stuff in it that's pretty strong. Um, Jean's mother is just so angry at the X-Men and for Charles Xavier for really being the catalyst to being involved in any of this. She's not wrong. Um, Her life has been horrible. She has had, at that point, even before before this whole thing, both of her daughters are dead due to X-Men related hijinks. Mm-hmm. Then she just watched all of her extended friends and family die. And this alternate reality, future timeline granddaughter of hers being the cause of it. So she's a little fed up. Yeah. It's yeah. very hard um, to read because it's, it's mean to Rachel, but it's it's mean in the way that even if you don't agree with it, you can say, I can't like, I can see where this character is coming from and how she has come to these opinions. Yeah. It's dark. Um, but it has a lot going for it. I mean, this is one of the better things that I recalled, um, 
of later Claremont. And uh, the art is fantastic. I mean, we're both the Chala mm-hmm. fans and I, I think he does a really nice job here. So um, where would you put it on the list? So I think this is better than number 58, which is House of M. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking up the list. I don't think it's as good as number 48, which is Blood Hungry, which is the Wolverine cyber story from MCP. Okay. That gives us a decent amount to work with. So how do you feel about this compared to, uh, let's say, X-Factor Volume 1, 71 through 75, Nasty Boys? Um, You know, that's a really strong start with uh, that amazing Larry Stroman art. So I think I like that better. Um, It's also not as mean-spirited as this is. (laughs) I'm kind of surprised you like this better. Do you like this better than Exterminators? I am on the knife's edge with this and exterminators because okay. they're the opposite end of the spectrum for me. Yeah. And I could go either way as to whether uh, I like this better than acts of vengeance. Um, I, I think I personally like this a little bit better than acts of vengeance, which okay. is a good story with a lot of weird elements to it. We've talked that to death. Sure. Uh, yeah. I'm going to say it. I think almost wholly on the craft of the middle issue of this, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to say this is better than exterminators because that middle issue okay. is, it's shocking how good a 20 page comic that's going to go over 24 discrete seconds works. Like that's, that's a pacing thing that you can only do in comics because in comics, you don't get to control your reader's pace. You can you can try and do tricks with the art to make them go slower or faster or focus on different things on the page, but they are flipping mm-hmm. through it. They control the speed of it. So a story like this where you're saying, we're going to take this in essentially slow motion, but not make it feel like slow motion, it works so well. It does. It works really well. All right. So what does that make this? Our 55. New- the new 55, 55 is End of Grace. End of Grace. All right. Um, and we've got one more tale of the Phoenix. We got there. one more tale of the Phoenix. This actually does have the Phoenix in it. This is Excalibur 61, Truth and Consequence, or as we're probably going to refer to it from the rest of the uh, series, it's the one where the Phoenix and Galactus fight. <laughs> this, uh, this is a fun one. This is an um, Alan Davis joint because all that, Alan Davis. Yeah. It's got that beautiful Alan Davis. It's got that good, um, good Alan Davis, everything. I, just as a quick aside, I saw um, that Marvel recently did an oversized hardcover called uh, Behold Galactus. Have you seen this thing? I have not. It is absolutely enormous. It's It's even bigger than some of the IDW books, but it's, full size reprints of like the original fantastic four Galactus story. And then a couple other like classic uh, Galactus stories with a huge Alex Ross cover. It's beautiful. Um, And I I wonder if they considered including this because despite the fact that the most of the issue is not about Galactus, um, it, it is such beautiful artwork. Every time it says, meanwhile, so just, just to put it in perspective, what we mean by this, there is a, 
Excalibur story, and it's really a in-between missions Excalibur story. There's some big stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Megan and Captain Britain get engaged here. Everyone else has their own little scenes, really. Not really arcs, but scenes. Uh, but then it constantly flips back to space, and it just says, meanwhile, and there is a full splash of <laughs> Phoenix fighting Galactus. Yeah, and every single one of them like would make for amazing giant size, uh, you know, poster frameable artwork. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's stupid how how big of a smile just pops up on my face every time I flip the page and it says, meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, the coolest stuff is happening in space, everyone. Yeah. It makes for a a really good joke, but the conversation, the reason that they're in conflict is because um, Phoenix is sort of flying through the galaxy and stumbles upon Galactus about to eat a planet that has some form of life. Nothing like sentient humans or anything like that, but um, she's getting all in his face about it. And he's basically like, dude, you're a hypocrite. (laughs) Let's fist fight. And uh, it's, it's a, a pretty interesting conversation with a lot of of fun nuance, despite the fact that most of it is just them blasting at each other. Let me, let me ask you this, Adam, should Galactus as a concept work because he's a space man. He's a, he's a giant spaceman who eats planets Mm -hmm. and he wears a stupid hat. I love it so much, but it's a stupid hat. I don't care. I just think he's awesome. I love him like, so much. It's just he's so good. Yeah, I <laughs> I love the concept of him. I mean, it really harkens back to um, this '60s ingenuity uh, of of Marvel as a house of ideas and just throwing everything at the wall. And it's like, all right, Kirby, like <laughs> make a big hat on this guy, <laughs> Kirby. Who, as 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 we're recording, as we're recording this. It would have been Jack Kirby's 101st birthday. So, you know, oh, hail to right. the king, baby. Yes. Yeah. Um, and Alan Davis does uh, justice to Galactus yes. here. His his drawings of him are outstanding. And he shows he shows Galactus with, the you know, a little bit of pathos here. He's he's got emotions. He's not just this guy who runs around and eats planets. He's he's got a moral compass and he's thinking about himself in relation to other cosmic critters. And I think that's cool. Yeah, no Galactus is dope and he does dope things. And Alan Davis draws him as a dope dude who does dope things. And that's all I want in a comic. Like there's not much because half of this comic is splash pages of the Phoenix fighting Galactus. And you know, Alan Davis is good like that take as red. So imagine Alan Davis drawing Phoenix, Rachel Gray, fighting Galactus on full splash pages. <laughs> this is like the issue of Thor where he fights Yargamon, the world serpent, and it's all splash pages and it's super good. It's like that, but with Galactus and Phoenix. Yeah, I will say um, that I have an iPad Pro that I, I do my artwork on, and it is super fun to look at these pages in Marvel Unlimited uh, and, and really blow them up. Um, cause it's just gorgeous, you know? So I think we're talking a lot about this aesthetically, but I think the story has, uh, some good beats to it. Yes. We're ignoring the, you know, the, I don't know, soap opery bits of Excalibur that are going on in the background. Cause this is the main event. I'd care but, more about um, the, I would know. care more about the engagement. If it didn't take 60 more issues for them to get friggin' married. 
Mm. And I yeah. know that's not this issue's fault, and I know that's not Alan Davis's fault, but come on, it takes forever. It takes <laughs> so long for them to get engaged. And then at one point, Megan's lost. And then at one point, Captain Britain's lost. And then he's Britannic. And then they have to figure out, now that they've both been separated for a while, do they still want to get married? And the answer is, yeah, duh, obviously. Why are you even having this conversation? You guys are going to have an adorable little baby. And she's going to be great. And she's going to be really like Valeria Richard smart. And you're just going to deal with it with all of your new friends in your lighthouse. <laughs> um yeah, but that kind of smacks of Excalibur in general, right? You yes. know, um, it does take very long time for things to happen in the Excalibur verse, um, which, as we continue to talk to creators on this show, seems to be something that people are really willing to uh, to go the extra mile to bring back. Yeah, guys. So who knows? Check out Excalibur. It's everything you've heard of and more. And this issue is, <laughs> I think this issue is really good and memorable mm-hmm. because not just the soap opera stuff because i think the other soap opera stuff it's it's good character writing alan davis knows his stuff but oh yeah but you know the the thing you're going to think back on this is because of those splash pages those are real real good splash pages yeah um so this is a very art centric book um where are you looking on the list well it's better than that bar issue of excalibur at 85 that's for sure oh for sure yeah, I was I was gonna go much higher than that. What other Excalibur um, do we have on here? Uh, Mojo Mayhem uh, is currently at forty six, which, um, despite its beauty, I don't think has the uh, the story that would put it above that. No, would you agree? I, I think that's fair. Okay, you know, because yeah. right below that is Ultimate X Men one through six, the Tomorrow People, which I think is probably mm-hmm. better. I think the Tomorrow People okay. as a whole is probably better. But right below that is, I just lost it. I was looking very good. Blood Hungry, which we just brought up. I think this is mm. comparable to Blood Hungry. Yeah. And I think it's better than Ladies Night. Oh, I don't know if I could put it ahead of Ladies Night. Really? Ladies Night is a... It is an uncanny classic. It's Jubilee's first appearance. You are a Jubilee boy. You are a Jubilee it's, boy. It's, it's like primo Aussie era X-Men. I don't know if I could put this ahead of that. Could you put um, it ahead of that Howard the Duck story? I was going to say, yeah, I could definitely put it ahead of that Howard the Duck story. Um, do you think it's better than Blood Hungry? Eh, I, I think. Yeah. I think with the list as it stands. If you are saying that it is not better than Ladies Night, which is not a not a situation I can argue objectively with. Yeah. I think we are perfectly fine to have Excalibur 61, that one where Phoenix and Galactus fight, in as our new number 50 on the nice. Battle of the Atom giant old list. This was, right. this was fun. Guys. The Phoenix as a concept is definitely overplayed, but also still good. And uh, Galactus is dope. <laughs> that That's what you need to take out of this episode. Also read Matt Rosenberg comics, but maybe not. Well, read Phoenix Resurrection, but maybe read some other ones too. Yes, definitely check out what he's doing with Multiple Man. It's nuts. Check out his... Oh, so it's over by the time that we will be... I was going to say... 
Yeah. So we Dead have Souls not read the last time. issue of Dead Souls. It comes out tomorrow. It comes out in like two hours uh, as Very we're recording exciting. this. Uh, we haven't read it, though. But if it's anything like the first five issues and the three pages of previews of for that book, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. You know, there's a part. You know, OK, OK, OK. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We're going to talk about a book that hasn't come out yet, but has for our listeners. You know, there's a scene okay. where Shatterstar and Richter are in their house and Karma is yelling at them and Shatterstar is making breakfast, but all he's wearing is a apron. Is this in the preview? Because I didn't yep. I, I didn't spoiler it for myself. Yep. Oh, my God. I got to check that out. Apparently, uh, quoting Adam T. Gorham, the uh, probably Gorham. It's probably Gorham. It's Gorham. <laughs> so talking to old Gorhams there, uh, he has said that his original uh, sketch for that was much cheekier. Okay. And he has shown he that his interpretation, you know, uh, you, you know, you know, Shatterstar. You know how Shatterstar has his eye tattoo? Yes. Uh, apparently on one of his cheeks, he had a matching one. <laughs> this is the content that X fans crave. I don't know why Jordan D. White will not give us more of that. I don't specifically right. want so, Shatterstar, but, but I know a lot of people do. So, you know, more power to it. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be good. Uh, where were we at? We were going to wrap up this episode, weren't we? I think hey so. Adam, if we're wrapping up this episode, you want to tell people where you can yeah. you can be found. Uh, guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Got new pages of uh, Bishop Jubes issue four, um, which is called "The Attack on the Mansion," coming out every X Men Monday at adamrec.tumblr.com. And if you want a copy of issue three, they're just one dollar at adamrec.bigcartel.com. Zach, where can people find you? People can find me on uh, xavierfellas.com that's where i have the episodes of this podcast articles i write x-men news whatever garbage i feel like putting onto that website it's gonna be there and if you're listening to this podcast nine times out of ten you're gonna like that garbage uh you can also find me <laughs> on twitter at xavier files that's where there is unfiltered garbage which is always exciting it's also where i post whatever clips of whatever comics i feel like i'm Feel like talking about it at that given moment so that's always fun luckily x-man i have all in very nice bound copies so i don't want to take pictures of all that because that sounds like way more work so you don't have to be exposed <laughs> to that uh but episodes like this episode were brought to us from patreon so once again michael wentz thank you so much for contributing to the wonderful institution that is this podcast if you want to be like Mike, you can go on over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. If you pitch in at the $2 a month level, we'll craft an entire episode around you. If you pitch in at higher dollars a month levels, we do other stuff. So maybe consider that. Uh, also, if you like uh, the Patreon and you, uh, or I guess the Patreon really more of the show. If you like the show and you can't contribute financially, I get it. I hear you. Money's tight, man. So what you could do is maybe go on to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever it is that you get your podcast from. Leave us a rating or a review. It really helps. Mostly to make us feel better, but also to make more people find the podcast. Or just like, guys, go on over to Twitter and hit that retreat button. Hit hit it, hit it, smash that, smash that button. 
and then more people can hear all of our good, good Phoenix talk. And I don't know what the problem with that is. <laughs> next week, though, next week, we are going to keep the fire alive as we talk about Chamber. And guys, Chamber's also good. I think the X-Men are good, Adam. I've come to that conclusion. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I, I think given the length of this podcast has been going on, that's kind of a given. <laughs> so, Well, that's great. We'll, uh, we'll uh, enjoy that. But until next time, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!